So why do we care about this during the menopause transition? You all know we lose bone during menopause because we, our estrogen rapidly decreases. But what else is of interest is our body composition changes. And I know you've talked about this quite a bit with Dr. Nolte. If you wanna orient yourself to this slide and look at the gray bar at zero, this slide, indi the, the zero indicates the date of your last period. Let's go to the left. This is before you've, your periods have stopped. You can see the black line is the fat in your body and it begins to go up even five years before you hit menopause and continues at a steep rate until a year or so after menopause. The blue line represents our lean mass. And while it's fairly stable, it starts to decline a couple years before your period stop and then continues to decline. So we have more fat mass, less lean mass. And why do we care about that besides metabolic health? This is a slide that shows the relationship between our weight in the top graph and lean mass in the bottom graph and bone mineral density of the femoral neck. That's where we fracture when we fall on our hip. You can see here, there's a relationship between our weight and bone mass. The heavier we are, the better our bone density. But what's of note is that relationship is actually stronger when we pull out just the lean mass. So it's not our fat mass that's helping our bones, it's the lean mass. And it has to do with how our lean mass communicates with our bones when we exercise. Hi, I'm Dr. Morgan Nolte, geriatric physical therapist, weight loss coach, and passionate disease prevention expert. I used to struggle with emotional eating, sugar cravings, and consistency. Then I learned how to lose the mental and physical weight once and for all with a low insulin lifestyle. Each week on the Reshape Your Health podcast, you'll learn simple, actionable, step-by-step -step strategies to help you do the same. If you're ready to create a body and life you love, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Reshape Your Health podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Morgan Nolte, and today we have a special guest. She's actually one of my physical therapy professors from school. Her name's Dr. Laura Bielek. I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit more and share her story. Today we're focusing on exercise for bone health, especially in postmenopausal women. I think you're going to find her research really interesting. Dr. Bielek, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I'm honored to be here to talk to you and all of your followers. And please call me Laura. That sounds as, good. As Dr. Nolte said, I've been a faculty member at University of Nebraska Medical Center for more years than I'm willing to admit in this public forum. But through that time, I have taught many, many physical therapy students and done research in the general area of prevention of chronic disease through exercise. But Oh, about a decade ago, a colleague from the College of Nursing invited me to collaborate with her to evaluate how medication and exercise affected bone health in early postmenopausal women. So I changed my, uh, shifted a little bit and uh, came up with a great research partnership and have been focusing on that since. So today I will talk a little bit about the study that my colleague, Dr. Nancy Waltman and I have done 
and also include some other evidence from other researchers that inform how we should keep our bones healthy as we age. Yep, and listeners know I'm a geriatric physical therapist. We see fractures and frailty all the time. Exercise is such a critical piece to living that low insulin lifestyle that I advocate. And um, not only is it good for our physical health, but wouldn't you agree it's good for our mental health? You know, absolutely. Especially yeah. during COVID, that's kind of been my saving grace. <laughs> it's cheaper than therapy, I say. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's dive into your research. You're going to share our screen. Never done this before. So if you're listening to the audio version on the podcast, feel free to check this out on YouTube because um, Dr. Laura, Dr. Bielek Laura is going to share her screen. Um, she's put together a really nice presentation for us today. Great. Well, thank you. Yeah. And as we mentioned before, I'm Laura Bielek. I am a faculty member and College of Allied Health Professions here at University of Nebraska Medical Center. And I'm very honored to also be the Linda Professor for Women's Health Research. And I have a couple financial relationships that I want to disclose. First of all, the research that I'm going to talk to you about today was funded by the National Institutes of Health. And I am a clinical advisor for a company called OsteoBoost, and I participate in research of medical devices developed from this, by this company, but I'm not going to talk about their products today. So before we start about how to keep our bones healthy, there are some, some language that you need to understand. You probably have heard the term osteoporosis. It is a disease characterized by having low bone mineral density and an increased risk of fracture. What you might not have heard about is something called low bone mass. And this used to be called osteopenia. This is when your bones start to deteriorate and they're not as good as they were when we younger when we were younger, but you have not been diagnosed with osteoporosis. You haven't progressed to osteoporosis. A very new word is something called fragility fracture. Say if I was walking my dogs, which I do for exercise, up and down hills, and I fall and I fracture my wrist. That is unexpected. A fall from standing height should not break any of our bones. So if I break my wrist when I fall, that's called a fragility fracture. And your healthcare providers will say, oh, wait a minute. Her bone mass might be normal, but she shouldn't have fractured. Her bones have a weakness and we need to treat them. How do doctors diagnose osteoporosis and low bone mass? I'm guessing many of you have had what's called a DEXA scan. I consider this to be a light x-ray you get a white image of your bones and it can calculate the density of bones. We're primarily interested in your spine and your hip. And how do you decide if you're at risk of fractures? Well, if I would have a bone density test and my bone mineral density of my spine, they compare it to the average bone density of a 30 year old woman. That's when we have peak bone mass. So we want to see how much bone I've lost compared to a 30 year old. And then I get a number that reflects that. So if I am at minus one or above, I'm considered to have normal bone mass. If I'm between minus one to minus two, I have low bone mass progressing to osteoporosis. If a T-score is below minus 2.5, that's osteoporosis. So the negative numbers in, indicate you've lost bone. 
why do we care about, about bone health? 43 million women have low bone mass and are at risk of progressing to osteoporosis. So they don't yet have osteoporosis, but they definitely have weakness in their bones. 50% of women who fracture have normal or low bone mass and not osteoporosis. So of the people who are fracturing, only 50% of them actually have osteoporosis. So everyone needs to take care of their bones and prevent fracture. So why do we care about this during the menopause transition? You all know we lose bone during menopause because we, our estrogen rapidly decreases. But what else is of interest is our body composition changes. And I know you've talked about this quite a bit with Dr. Nolte. If you wanna orient yourself to this slide and look at the gray bar at zero, this slide, indi the, the zero indicates the date of your last period. Let's go to the left. This is before you've, your periods have stopped. You can see the black line is the fat in your body and it begins to go up even five years before you hit menopause and continues at a steep rate until a year or so after menopause. The blue line represents our lean mass. And while it's fairly stable, it starts to decline a couple years before your period stop and then continues to decline. So we have more fat mass, less lean mass. And why do we care about that besides metabolic health? This is a slide that shows the relationship between our weight in the top graph and lean mass in the bottom graph and bone mineral density of the femoral neck. That's where we fracture when we fall on our hip. You can see here, there's a relationship between our weight and bone mass. The heavier we are, the better our bone density. But what's of note is that relationship is actually stronger when we pull out just the lean mass. So it's not our fat mass that's helping our bones, it's the lean mass. And it has to do with how our lean mass communicates with our bones when we exercise. So what are the risk factors for osteoporosis? We talked a lot about menopause and our body changes, but there are other risk factors. Someone who's less active has lower bone mass and is at risk for fracture. When you lose weight rapidly, you also lose bone rapidly. And most people forget about that and treat bones when you have massive weight loss. And, and a poor diet or smoking, as with all things, can have an effect on our bone. But you should know that as a female, we're, we're much, we have a much greater likelihood of fracture and osteoporosis. Women who are white ethnicity, especially Northern European, with a family history of osteoporosis and a small frame are at high risk of fractures. And these pictures are of my family. As you can see, I have very um, um, pale white skinned daughters and my daughter Tara is very, very thin. She has a small frame, so she's at even higher risk of fracture. If you have steroid medication, history of taking steroids in your lifetime or have an inflammatory disease like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus, you're also at a much higher risk of osteoporosis. And my middle daughter in the picture there 
Anna, she had a history of long-term steroid medication as a child. So we're keeping very close eye on her bone health. And just for those who can't see that slide, I just wanted to note the dietary things you mentioned, the low calcium, low vitamin D, um, low protein. And then if they drink alcohol, do you know if there's a certain amount of alcohol that's considered safe for bones or? That's not my, there? thank no. you for mentioning that. The alcohol is not my area of expertise. Yeah. I would say you would follow the general rules for mm -hmm. alcohol where everything in moderation, you know, <laughs> a glass, maybe a, a small glass of red wine a day is good for our bodies, but we can't use that as an excuse to drink three very large glasses of red wine a day and think that we're doing something for our health. Okay. So no, just wanted to point that out for people who are listening to the podcast, if they wanted to know those specific things on the slide there. You know, I do want to mention protein, even though it's not my area of expertise, but as a postmenopausal woman whose children have left the house, it's very easy to have a diet with low protein content. So I think that's part of the reason our bones um, begin to deteriorate is if we're not cooking well-balanced meals and looking at the protein content, that can have a neg long-term negative effect on our lean mass and our bone. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about calcium and vitamin D. Um, but the main thing, rule of thumb, is you just need a normal amount. More is not better. Okay. Okay, let's move back to the exercises then. To have an exercise program that is effective at helping keep our bones healthy, we need to do two things. We need to do exercise where we're standing and loading our legs with, with an intensity. And this is a list of many different kinds of exercises that you can choose to do. Um, these are pictures of me, the stair climbing and hiking, because that's my choice of daily activity. And when I take my dogs for a walk on my acreage, I avoid any, any um, terrain that's flat. I just go up and down hills for about 30 to 40 minutes because it helps strengthen my hip muscles. Climbing is the same way. We also know from research that jumping rope, lunges, uh, stepping exercise, or even a Zumba class can be very helpful. But you can't just do that. You also need to do resistance training, which is weight lifting for all the major muscle groups and especially for the hips and the thighs. You can see that with this picture. Now we have a picture of a person doing exercise with free weights as well as with a machine. And for older women, I prefer machines because you're less likely to injure yourself. You have a little bit more control over the exercise. So how often do we do this? Well, the first thing I wanna talk about is you have to do resistance training. You can't just get a weight, any old weight, and lift it as long as you feel like lifting it. You have to slowly and gradually increase the resistance or the weight until several weeks into your program, you can only lift that weight eight to 12 times before what we call volitional fatigue. Mm -hmm. That means that you just can't lift it anymore. Or if say I'm doing a chest press, I'm cheating and doing all sorts of weird movements to continue to lift the weight. So increase your weight. So you have a pretty heavy weight that you can only lift eight to 12 times. The goal is three days per week. And do you do one, two, or three sets? Well, more is better. But what's really interesting 
is that you're going to get at least 75% of the benefit of the weightlifting if you just do one set. I use this factor a lot. If I'm at work and I'm swamped and I need to run up to the gym to lift weights, it's going to take me twice as long to do two sets and three times as long to do three sets. So my goal is two sets, but if I'm very busy, I'll just run up and move through the exercise program doing one set at my prescribed weight. Mm -hmm. And three days a week is great, but if you can only get there two days a week, you are still helping yourself. Now, some of you who are listening have probably been diagnosed with osteoporosis. And so then we have to say, how do we exercise? We say it depends. So if you're just barely into the osteoporosis category, the exercise we just talked about is perfectly okay. You're really not at great risk for fracture. But if you have more severe osteoporosis, and you can see by the red box here, you say you have a T-score of minus four, that means your bones are pretty weak. Then we have to lower our exercise intensity, as I've shown here on this gold uh, um, rectangle. So the lower your bone or your T-score, the lighter weights you have to use to prevent fracture. And just for a little bit of clarification there on intensity, would you still recommend three days a week, but maybe for example, they're reaching fatigue after 15 to 20 repetitions instead of eight to 12? Is that what you mean by lower intensity? You know what, thank you for mentioning that. Yes, absolutely, that's a perfect example. You still want to go three days a week, but your load or weight is going to be lighter. So you can only lift it, say, about 15 times. Okay. Mm -hmm. yep. Good. Thanks. So there's other precautions here I'm just going to mention. And I have to, I have to introduce you to the women on my slide. I introduced you to my children. But the woman in the green shirt is my mother. And I want to tell you, she usually has a much bigger smile than that. And she has low bone mass at age 82 and no history of fractures. And here on the left with a hip award is my graduate student, Laura, and her grandmother, Laura, or, uh, Grandma Flores. And she's had two fragility fractures and has been diagnosed with osteoporosis. So let's go back to that. It depends. For Grandma Flores, we're definitely going to be using lighter weights and more reps. But my mother, Mavis, she can lift a heavier weight, but she can only lift eight to 12 times. But what else do we want them to do? I told you, you have to do some exercises where you're standing on your legs and exercising your hips. You know what? If you have osteoporosis, we really would want to avoid those um, heavy jumping type of activities. It doesn't mean that you can't do some lunges with appropriate instruction, maybe steps with a lower step height, as long as you have good mechanics as you do that, but hiking and stair climbing certainly are acceptable for a person who has osteoporosis. When you have osteoporosis, or even women who don't have osteoporosis can get what we call a thoracic compression fracture. That means your, the bones of your spine and your chest area can kind of collapse. And you probably all know of someone who had an osteoporosis fracture and very severe pain in their upper back. So for older women, I encourage them, besides doing those exercises for your hips, really focus on the muscles on your back. So here I'm shown doing exercises with machines on the far right, but you can also use lightweight and do these other exercise that are, exercises that are shown here. 
And if you need help, I'm sure Dr. Nolte would encourage you to have a referral to a physical therapist to help you develop a program. Yep. Okay, so you can do movements the wrong way or the right way. So how you lift a weight is very important. And here's a picture of me using good body mechanics on the top where I'm keeping my back straight and bending at my hips and knees to pick up a weight. Over here, the left-hand side shows me bending at my hips and my spine so it's flexed and then picking up a weight. This is what I might do picking up a sock off the floor. But that movement itself is what can cause the vertebral compression fracture. It's not necessarily a heavy weight, it's how we move our bodies. So I want to encourage you to stop a moment, reflect on this and think about how you do different movements around your house and with your daily activities and think about those types of activities where you really need to focus on keeping your back straight. I have a little story here, two stories. So the first is a client who had a young granddaughter. A lot of our members have young grandkids. I think you do too, right? Yep. Yeah, and so it's really important to have good body mechanics as you're lifting up those growing babies to avoid these fractures. Yeah. The other story, we did a group a group date night to Top Golf in Omaha. Have oh yeah, yeah. It's really fun, and everyone made fun of me of how I was placing the ball on the tee because I would actually squat down <laughs> and place the ball with good yeah. with good body mechanics, and um. You know, it's like, well, you know what, you guys, I'm using good body mechanics, so I don't care if it looks silly. Anywho, those are my two little stories on body mechanics. Recently. And if your friends wake up with a backache the next day, they better not call you because you demonstrated good body mechanics. <laughs> yes, yes. So, yeah, I, I hear you. I know one thing that I changed was I always squat down in front of my dryer to pull my clothes yes. out. Yeah. Because I noticed that was was very detrimental to the way I was using my back. and. And before COVID, I went to an exercise class and um, I didn't like some of the movements that were they were doing because I didn't feel it was great for my spine. So I always did my own thing in the back. And and then the um, instructor said, oh, yeah, you're the one that always does your own thing. But you always do it perfectly with great body mechanics. <laughs> yes, I do. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so, the other thing I think is like standing desks. I think ergonomics i just ordered a standing desk adapter i'm really excited for it to come and i love that you mentioned it's not so much about the load it's about the position so yeah. even like you said bending down to pick something up off the floor especially if you have low bone mass can really put you at risk for those compression fractures and we see that all the time in geriatric pt like yeah. i don't know what i did but i just got a bone fracture and i'm like you probably just bent over to tie your shoe Yep. And that's so funny. When you said that, before you said, I don't know what I did, that was what was in the back of my mind because that's what everybody says. And even though you mentioned tying shoes, I don't ever bend over to tie my shoes anymore because my body is just used to trying to maintain an upright position. And I sit down and prop my foot up. I have a place where I put on my shoes. So anyway, I, you might consider me an old woman. I just want to be a very active old woman with great posture. <laughs> okay, let's share my screen again and hope yep. we can pick back up where I left off. This is data from the study that Dr. Nancy Waltman and I conducted. And we compared women who had a osteoporosis medication, resedronate, for one year to women who exercised for one year, as we just talked about, 
and women who just took calcium and vitamin D for a year. We know that, that resedronate and exercise is not going to do their job without the correct amount of calcium and vitamin D. Here are the results, and this is the percent change in bone mineral density. And at our spine, the women with in the resedronate group, shown in the yellow bar, they had a greater increase in their bone mineral density than the women in the exercise group or the control group. But really the very interesting story here is exercise did not change our bone mineral density in the spine, the hip or femoral neck to a greater degree than women who had a standard of care, which is calcium and vitamin D. So at first glance, this looks a little bit disconcerting. Is exercise not helping my bones? Well, let's look at the research that tells us about exercise relative to hip fracture. The y-axis or the vertical axis tells us what the probability of hip fracture is over years. If you look at the dark line indicated by the red arrow, this shows the increasing risk of fracture for women who are not very active at all. But the lines indicated by the yellow and green arrows, those are women who have high activity or moderate activity levels and their risk of fractures is much lower than the women who are sedentary. So exercise is doing something. We know it's helping prevent fractures, but if it's not changing our bone density, what is happening? Well, what I learned in doing this research is just a natural change as we age is our bones try to stay strong by going from a small diameter to a larger diameter that you can see in this figure here. Uh, my analogy is if you're trying to break a twig, the bigger the diameter or size of the twig, the harder it is to break. And even a small change in size can make it uh, much harder to break. So we think maybe exercise is changing our bone structure or size rather than density. So we measured these things. Our DEXA scans gave us some measurements called hip structure analysis. And they're kind of hard to pronounce, but it is cross-sectional area and moment of inertia and modulus. And these are all measures of strength of bone. It takes into account the bone density and the size, which we just talked about. So let's look at the middle here, because this is pretty representative of what happened with our exercise group and control and drug group in our study. The women in the control group definitely lost ground relative to the size of the bones. But the women in the resedronate or drug group and exercise group actually increased the size of their bones, which is associated with increased strength. So here's the good news. Exercise may not have had a dramatic effect on our density, but it certainly has positive effects on the size of our bones that can help prevent fracture. I just love this figure because it's easy to see. Buckling ratio is on the left and the lower the buckling ratio, the lower risk of fracture. So if we look at the red line, during the course of the year, those women had an increase in buckling ratio and so their fracture risk increased. But the women 
in the resedronate group indicated by the yellow line and the exercise group indicated by the green line had a slight decrease in buckling ratio, which means over the course of a year in their menopause years, they actually lowered their risk of fracture. So how, how does this happen and what kind of exercises do we need to do? I told you in general, lower extremity impact exercises and strength training of major muscle groups. But this picture is from a computer analysis where it tells us where we're stressing or stimulating bone development in our femoral neck. So if you can see here, um, can you see my cursor? I can, yep. Okay, that's the area where our hip breaks. It breaks up here at the top, but you can see at the bottom when I'm doing like jumping exercise, that's where I'm strengthening my hip. If I fall on my hip, you can see the top there, you have a lot of pressure there and that's what causes the fracture. So as we think about exercise, we need to try to target that top area to make it stronger in case we fall in the future. Right. So how do we do that? More pictures from computer, computer imaging. But when we do a long jump, which I'm not suggesting, we aren't stressing the top of the bone where we fracture. But look at this, with hip extension, it does stress that part of the bone that needs to be stronger to prevent hip fraction, fracture. So what kind of exercises are hip extension? Well, up and down stairs, up and down, um, uh, uh, like a step exercise class all involves hip extension. Or when you're lifting weights, the leg press, and sometimes you even have machines like a, with a pulley effect and you can put a strap around your ankle and move your ankle behind your body. That would be considered hip extension. So really focus on those exercises. Do yep. you think it's the activation of the hip extension muscles, like our big gluteal muscles, or do you think it's breaking the neutral plane? So for those who don't know, hip flexion is when your leg moves forward, like when you're taking a step, hip extension is when your leg moves backward. So your gluteals are activated. It's almost like the step up motion. So hip flexion is when you put your foot on the step. Hip extension is when you're actually stepping up through. So yeah. what is it? Is it the is it the active movement or is it the muscle activation? Do you know what that difference there? I would say no one can give you an exact answer. It used to be that we thought it was the act of actually landing hard on our lower extremities that caused a mechanical stimulus to the bone cells. But the newer evidence suggests that when we activate our muscles, we do two things. It, it causes local stress and strain and mechanical force, say to the femoral neck, but muscles and bones talk to each other. Hence my first slide that showed how our relationship to bone health was not to weight, but really to our lean mass or muscle. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite clear the exact mechanism, but yes, you need to have lots of muscle and you need to activate them a lot in these specific fashions. So good what question. What about a bridge? So a bridge is kind of semi weight bearing. So your feet are on the ground, your knees are bent, you're bridging your, your hips up. Your hips up. 
I really like doing it um, at a Smith machine or like with a bar with external weight on top of my hips to get more weight on my glutes, um, which is, it's a hip extension, but it's an, in a less weight bearing form. So what's your thought on a bridge? It, it, as long as you're overloading your muscles, so you can only lift it eight to 12 times, you, that is as much as your hip extensors can lift. Mm -hmm. I tend to move away from those with, for myself, as well as some of my older clients, because um, getting into that position doesn't work very well because I have some tight muscles in places. And also, if you think about when your hips are going up, you get a little bit of trunk flexion. So a person who has serious osteoporosis, I avoid that. Mm -hmm. So yes, great exercise, but it's not necessarily for everybody. Yeah. So kind of as an aside, I can't do lunges. I have so much mm -hmm. tightness in my muscles that I get my knees swell for days, but I'm a physical therapist and I know that. So if you're doing these exercises and you have some sort of outcome that's not right, stop, find someone to, to help you with your exercise program and modify it. So yeah. thank you for bringing that up. And I'm just going to reiterate what I said and emphasize a couple of points. Exercise is good. It helps us prevent fractures by helping us maintain or grow our muscle mass. And it affects our bones positively by helping improve their structure. What I don't have in there and didn't talk about today, but you all know is is good exercise and strengthening program also decreases risk of falls. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And I gave you lots of advice on what to do if you already have osteoporosis. But if you don't know if you have osteoporosis, talk to your um, provider and get a get a DEXA scan. I believe the guidelines suggest every woman should have a DEXA scan every two years from age 65 forward. But if you have any risk factors, your doctor can order one before that, and it should be paid by insurance. And I am not a healthcare provider that prefers prescribes osteoporosis medications, but they are great. They help prevent fractures. They might work a little bit differently than exercise, but please don't um, decline medications if they're indicated based on your uh, bone density. Also, we mentioned this before, but I'm happy to talk about it again. Mm -hmm. uh, give your bones the best chance of staying healthy by making sure you have adequate calcium and normal vitamin D levels. And remember, more is not better. I uh, just want to point out what I learned from my colleague, Dr. Nancy Waltman, who's also a nurse. Um, having a normal amount of calcium in your diet is great, and it is not at all associated with any negative health effects. There's some research that suggests that, that very high levels of calcium in older adults may be associated with some cardiovascular issues. So again, more is not better. Just follow the recommendations and get your recommended daily allowance. Um, I don't have a, a, a slide for this, but if you go to the National Osteoporosis Foundation, they have something called a calcium calculator, which is fantastic. It asks you about things that are in your diet, and then it'll spit out the amount of calcium you're getting, and you're trying to get up to 1,200 milligrams per day, and if you're only taking 600 milligrams per day in in your diet, you know, you have to supplement with an additional 600. So mm -hmm. that is a, a fabulous resource that I encourage you to use. And vitamin D likewise, um, used to be that vitamin D cured everything. 
Well, I think now we know having low vitamin D is really bad, but more is not better. Just uh, take adequate vitamin D as the normal daily allowances recommend. And uh, definitely make sure you do that in the winter because our the angle of our sun is not going to give us any vitamin D through our skin in the winter. Interesting. And, I didn't know that. Yeah. So what's really interesting is that most parts of our country, vitamin D levels drop by about 50% in the winter compared to the summer because we just aren't getting, getting the sun uh, on our skin to create vitamin D. So yeah, so definitely if you're going to be a poor vitamin D taker, be poor in the summer and, and be <laughs> very consistent over the winter months. Okay. Now yeah. I have to get, I'm going to give a shout out to one of our members, Betty, who she, I told her that you were coming on the show. So Betty's another physical therapist, very into osteoporosis research. And she sent several follow-up questions. We wanted to address just a couple of the more simple ones here in the interview. And then I wanted to finish up with talking about practical strategies that you use to actually get your exercise done, because so many people know that they you know, should be exercising, but they're not exercising, at least not consistently and not to that recommended intensity. Um, perhaps maybe they're walking, but they're not to the point of adding that resistance training in, which is really important. So Betty had a couple questions I, and I wanted you to ask, or I wanted to ask you this specific one, you know, do you recommend anything else besides the DEXA to screen for bone health, like any serum markers for bone turnover? Most studies, if you read it online, are going to talk about bone turnover markers. They help the researchers understand what's happening to the bones and how things might change. But there's no cut point that gives your provider information about your health. An example I would use is when I get my blood taken every year, they can look at the number of red blood cells I have and see if I need to take iron. We know what the level is for good and mm -hmm. below that is bad and we treat it. We don't have any other markers like that for, for bones. Okay. Um, and then the other question that I wanted you to, to address was she wanted to know kind of how you came up with the exercise protocol for the exercise group in your study and why those specific exercises were selected. I think you kind of touched on that in the sense of we needed to work all major muscle groups of the lower extremity, especially surrounding the hip and, th and the thigh. But the question I wanted you to ask was, would you design it differently? So that was another part of her question is, what would you do differently in the research study? That's a really good question. Um, we designed the research study by looking at many, many other studies and what exercises were done relative to their outcomes. And um, while we use that to design our exercise, there isn't a right answer. So trying to make sure you exercise for your upper extremity as well as your hips is very important. And I would add, um, I think I would do the same thing, but I would add step ups to our protocol. So. Okay. And just regular, not weighted step-ups, just regular ones? Um, adding weight to step-ups for an older person is really, you, if you use bad body mechanics, you're doing more harm than good. So I would say what we would do is start with a low height without any resistance and, and increase it up to maybe 9, even 12 inches for women who can 
do that successfully for at least 10 repetitions? Nice. Yeah. Good that question. My favorite, when I worked in the skilled nursing facility, that was one of my favorite exercises were step ups because it's functional. It uses yeah. multiple muscle groups. You could do them multi-directionally. So I really like to do front step ups and side. You can alter the, the arms, you know, how much arm support they have for balance. Yeah. That was one of my faves. Um, oh, so you know, you are, you are a PT after my own heart because, uh, <laughs> that is really you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck the way you describe those exercises yeah um i my favorite quote from geriatric rehab is the only reason we should have someone kick their leg from a seated position is if their goal is to kick a ball from a seated position <laughs> have you heard of that one it was in, in a gusion book for fellow for fellow geriatric pts yeah. and i love that quote so i really am an advocate of functional movements I think personally that that makes your program more efficient. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm a busy working mom. You're a busy working mom. And you said, you know, sometimes your, your exercise routine is simply one set. Yeah. And I think yeah. one barrier to implementing is people work themselves up to think, I don't have half an hour to exercise today. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. fine. How much time do you have? Absolutely. Start with 10 minutes. So that's yeah. my recommendation is just start simply um, it doesn't even have to be more than 10 minutes. Do mm -hmm. a few a few sets. But what are your what are your um, suggestions for um, people who you are, you know, you are the audience and you are making time for yep. those strength training. So tell us how you do it. Well, I will be the first to admit you hit the nail on the head. It's very hard. And since COVID, you know, our gym was closed and now I'm know swamped at work it is hard to get to the gym but i'm much better at doing resistance training at a facility than at home mm -hmm. so i uh, ended up getting a third dog so that i have a creature that requests that i walk them every day and they're very big so um if i was going to walk for myself i'll admit that sometimes it's much easier to put other things ahead of myself so I feel like when I'm exercising, I'm not only doing it for me, but I have uh, someone else that I'm helping, which is my animal. So get a partner, meet mm -hmm. them. And so you know, if you're going to the gym to meet your friend, that you're helping them, not just you. And so sometimes with our nurturing nature, that helps us to be more committed. Um, and like I said, I have some routes and I avoid any areas that's flat and I go up and down hills and um, I live out in the country and the my it's rough terrain so i'm definitely using my hips as much as i can i also have a couple of exercises that i try to do every day i do some angled push-ups on my um, counter in my bathroom using good body mechanics and watching in the mirror because i'm there every day twice a day so every night before bed i'll do my push-ups until i um can't do them correctly and then i'll do squats so and I try to do some single leg squats if I can. So I'm getting my hips and, and my um, trunk a little bit on days that I can't make it to the gym. So. Yeah, just making it happen. That's a, a habit yeah. stack technique for people who like that kind of lingo. She's stacking the habit of strength training in her bathroom when she's already in there brushing her teeth and doing her routine. And maybe that's where you start. Maybe you start with a habit stack of angled push-ups and squats in your bathroom and go from there, you know, but for me, the proof is really in the pudding. I mean, 
when I started strength training, I really recognized that it's a much more efficient form of exercise than all the cardio that I grew up doing. Um, And it was almost necessity that I did that uh, after I had kids. I didn't have an hour to go for a run anymore. You know, I had 20 minutes before the the gym caretaker came up and said, Dawson's screaming and he won't stop screaming. (laughs) Your workout is done now. (laughs) So I really had to find ways to make it efficient. And that's where I kind of fell in love with strength training. Mm -hmm. And then just to highlight too, from an insulin resistance standpoint, I've had Dr. Ben Bickman on the show. And one of my favorite quotes from him is never miss a leg day. So you get the the dual benefit of you know hip fracture prevention when you're working on those big muscle groups in the lower extremity, but you're also building healthy muscle with more insulin receptors to reduce insulin resistance. So you get the metabolic benefit as well. So never miss a leg day. I like that. Um, I love that. And 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 I also want to point out to the women, I really wasn't aware of these changes that are happening during menopause. Yeah. And I wish I'd have been more diligent prior to menopause starting to beginning my strength training then to prevent loss of some of that uh, lean mass, especially in the legs. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I know you put a lot of work into just creating this kind of special presentation for the show. If listeners want to connect with you more, um, how can they do that? My work email would be a wonderful way to contact me. And it's L-B-I-L-E-K at U-N-M-C dot E-D-U. So mm-hmm. it's at University of Nebraska Medical Center. That's the U-N-M-C dot E-D-U. Cool. So. And we'll, we'll be sure to link to the research study. Um, is it out? I'm guessing that it's out and available. Um, the We have one several papers published. But of the data I showed you today, our bone mineral density paper is published. And we have submitted a paper talking about these structure changes, but it has not been published yet. It's still under peer review for those of you who know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, I'll find what I can and I'll be sure to link them in the show notes. Thanks again, Laura, and we'll follow up again soon. Thank you. This was a pleasure. I appreciate your invitation. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Reshape Your Health podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and don't forget to tell a friend. To learn more and connect online, check out the links in the show notes.